This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. Yeah, and we already said the title, so welcome again. <laughs> Yay. And we're back, and we're back together, which is a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to start by saying, <laughs> great job last week, Lindsay. That was really fun. And it was, Thank you. It was so It was a weird. nice, you know, just intimate <laughs> evening with just Lindsay, only talking about <laughs> what, what you wanted to talk about, and it was really cool. I liked it. <laughs> I'm glad. I hope it didn't bore anybody. No way. <laughs> I bored myself a little bit, so you know, <laughs> it's hard when you're not like talking to someone to have oh, like yeah. a conversation. Yeah, it makes Very it strange. so much easier. I, I mean, I, I I tend to kind of imagine people, you know, listening to stories when when I try to read them, but mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier to do a show with somebody uh, than just yeah, kind of especially a conversational yeah. one. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> So, Logan, uh, do you want to tell us why you were gone last yeah, week? Yeah, sorry, everybody. I've, I've, been, I've been very busy. I've, uh, I'm not traveling so much. I'm here in, in town in Salt Lake, and I'm actually rehearsing for a play. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm going to be in uh, William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, that's coming up. It's uh, apropos. Yeah, the, that's the uh, August 10th, and it's uh, put together by the Drunken Shakespeare Company. That's, this is something kind of cool and fits with our with our kind of podcast here. Definitely. One of our chief sponsors is a local distillery. So, oh, which one? Uh, the, that's the Dented Brick Distillery. They're responsible oh, for fine. the Antelope Island uh, gin and vodka lines. Um, and everything I've had from there has been really great. Love it. We'll need to make a cocktail with one of their... Oh, yeah, yeah. And and, and yeah. all their stuff mixes really well. We've we've had a lot of really great moments as a cast uh, sampling the different drinks. Uh, <laughs> Best show yeah, ever. It's been, it's been neat <laughs> to have, you know, alcohol be part of the rehearsal process and part of the bonding process. Uh, yeah, in Utah. Yeah, in Utah, where usually theater is very dry, uh, it's it's good clean good clean ways. fun. It's that's what it is. <laughs> and hey, that's that's good times. But uh, it's nice to kind of break out of that a little bit too. Uh, so yeah, that's we're coming up. And I anybody who actually lives in Utah, please hit me up, and I'll make sure you can get tickets if you want to come see it. Uh, anybody who doesn't, well, I hope you have fun plans for August wherever you are. And I will tell you all about it when I go. <laughs> yeah, and Lindsay will have a full review ready. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, it was good. You did a good job. Oh yeah. That's usually the extent of my reviews of shows. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, usually my my whole thing. I liked it. And then walk off and then three days later actually have things to say about this. Something to say. Exactly. Yeah. You got to like get your brain percolating. Yeah. Up a little yeah. Bit. It has to incubate for a little bit. So who who are you playing? Oh, yeah. So I'm playing Lysander. Mm. I've actually never played Lysander before. I've done this play a couple of times. Um, I've even directed a version of it for kids, uh, but I've never played Lysander. He's a fun character. Oh, and one one kind of neat thing. Uh, about a Midsummer Night's Dream is it's done a ton of different ways. It's something that uh, is very open to interpretation and can be put in a lot of different genres. And ours is being set in kind of a whimsical fantasy version of pop culture from the 1980s. I'm so excited. Shakespeare really lends itself to being able to do that kind of thing. Like the stories are so 
classically human that they can be placed at any time in any like situation and they they fit you know like look back at the the romeo and juliet movie with like claire danes and leonardo dicaprio yeah yeah and it's and they're having like gunfights instead of sword fights well these situations they're universal to the human condition Mm -hmm. um the the struggles of power and love and passion and some of the histories are a little bit specific and it's sure i can't do like henry it's telling kind of a a (laughs) particular story there's there's been some talk of me being in a a, a production of Coriolanus uh, coming up uh, oh. in September, which is going to be one of the lesser yeah, known ones. and it's going to be all post apocalyptic, and I'm going to be a cyborg, and it's going to be pretty cool. Dude, so that's going to be awesome. So that's a possibility, but it hasn't uh, hasn't officially kicked off yet. But I hope it does. That'd be really cool. That would be a neat thing. I've never done that show. I've never even seen that show. It's a, it's one that I've only seen in, in text format. So, You know one that I really want to see is Titus Andronicus. I've never seen it performed. It's so bloody yeah. and gory and dark, <laughs> and I love that, and I really want to see yeah, it. Yeah, remember the part about how um, we live in Utah? <laughs> these aren't the kinds of plays that well, go on all the time. Kind, kind yeah, of. Kind of. Everywhere outside of Cedar yeah, City. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, uh, we actually, in Utah, we have something called the the Shakespearean Festival. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a big deal, It's actually. a pretty it's, cool tradition. And I'm really glad that it's only continued mm-hmm. to grow over the years. Yeah. And the caliber of acting in those plays is just insanely good. Like, they are amazing. And probably the best play that I've ever seen was Macbeth there. It was amazing. And a lot of it was down to set design. Mm -hmm. And um, what they did is, so Macbeth is a tragedy, right? You're not supposed to say the name, Lindsay. It's it's bad luck. (laughs) I'm not in a theater. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But many people die throughout the play, right? Mm -hmm. And every time like a significant person dies, what would happen is uh, like the first time someone died, this, this bell rang or like clock struck or whatever and the stage like flew 12 feet apart like it split down the middle and it flew 12 feet apart from each oh, other oh it rent itself and asunder each time yeah and each time someone died it went further off until you hit the end where Macbeth is fighting Macduff and they are just literally there's just a little staircase platform mm-hmm. and the scrim is like this uh this backdrop of a graveyard and that's it oh that that's sounds really set. cool it was amazing yeah <sighs> so that's the kind of stuff that they do there and it's stellar so if you get a chance to go it's in cedar city in utah which is like uh very southern utah it's close to saint george yeah it's close a cool side of utah that's very different from salt lake super desert yeah bring your mountain bike it's a fun place to go yeah, it's it's gorgeous. So you can go there and you can go around and go hiking. Like it's it's very cool. Yeah. A very different vibe than a lot of other places in Utah. <laughs> but the yeah, the Shakespearean <laughs> Festival has really made it kind of a destination. If anyone ever is considering going to Cedar City or is you know, thinking of places you could go to get some pretty good Shakespeare, we highly recommend Cedar City, Utah. Yeah. That's a very big one. And they do plays that are not Shakespeare, too. They do often do a musical. They usually do a couple of just straight plays, uh, usually ones that I've never heard of, which is nice. Cool. But every time I've gone, I've, I've loved everything I've seen. Yeah, yeah. That, so I've I've enjoyed everything I've seen there. And it's I've never had the chance to act there just because living in Salt Lake, it's, it's a couple hours away. Yeah, hard commute. <laughs> yeah, but it's something that... And he's, when he says a couple, he means like 
three or four. Yeah, through the godforsaken <laughs> desert. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a long drive. It's, yeah, you, you got to know where you're going and really want to get and there. And it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so... Um, well, cool. Yeah, so in case you hadn't guessed, um, we are actually going to discuss a little bit of Shakespeare on tonight's show. It is a midsummer episode. I'm a little disappointed I wasn't there for our introduction into uh, the Brothers Grimm last week. I know, I, I was I'm so sorry sad. I missed that, but you know, I'm sure we'll touch on them a number of other times. I'm sure. And I know... <laughs> I know that you wanted to express how you felt about fairy tale theater. Oh yeah, yeah. When I when I heard you bring that one up, I'm like, oh cool, Lindsay. Fairy tale theater. We've never even <laughs> talked about fairy tale theater. Oh. We really hadn't. But then you you did a very extensive explanation of it, and I really have nothing yeah, more to add aside from extensive. yeah, Lynn. Yeah, Lynn's. <laughs> it's totally cool. I also watched it. <laughs> no, I mean like it was it was an integral part to both of our childhood. Oh yeah, like. It was a big deal. That was a VHS that definitely got worn out. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Like, I just really have these vivid memories. And then when I was going back to find links for the show notes last time, I was like watching little bits of the episode. And I'm like, yep, I remember all of this. You know, things that you don't really remember till you see it again a little bit. And then you definitely do. Like, everything floods back. Mm-hmm. Definitely, that's what happened. See, and, and I love so. I love the fairy tale theater, but I, I also, you know, my own personal favorite and the one that I resonate with a little bit more from that same era is uh, Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was, that was my same, jam. Same kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> of, as far sure. as live action re- reenactments of popular fairy tales <laughs> from the 1980s. You can't go wrong with Jim Henson yeah. anything, really. <laughs> Well, cool. Oh, well, we, so creative. Yeah. So uh, we're going to jump into Shakespeare, but we've got some other stories to share. But first, we've got a yeah. drink. Isn't that right, Linz? Oh, we do. And I am so excited. Originally, we thought that we were going to do pina coladas because they're super summery and, um, and, you know, they just fit that vibe. And really, if you if you do it right, they're a lovely drink. And we'll have, we'll have pina coladas another time. Yes, we will definitely do them. <laughs> Maybe once we go to some, wherever they're from. I don't know. I'm guessing... Central or Southern America somewhere, probably. Uh, coconuts? I haven't done that research. Pineapples? Uh, they come from Hawaii. They come the pl- from South America. They come from all <laughs> the around the Caribbean. The place where those things... Where, exactly. Yeah, the tropics. Uh, and <laughs> So, actually, um, one of our future creatures is coming up from the Caribbean. So, maybe we'll do pina coladas then. But when I was doing my research for a few midsummer facts for you guys... I ran across something amazing. So <laughs> I, I love the sound of this. It's amazing. I know. Yeah. I am a hardcore gin girl, like through and through. Mm-hmm. I love gin. This is known. <laughs> and I know that not everybody loves gin. Like it's kind of a polarizing liquor. A lot of people either like really love it, really hate it. There are people in the middle. It's pretty polarizing for a liquor. Like, yeah, there are some people that, that drink it and they get a kick of, you know, the kind of planty, almost pininess yeah. of it. And really, it's not for everyone. Yeah, they think they're <laughs> drinking a bouquet or yeah, something. Yeah, or, or, or cleaning <laughs> fluid or something like that. But for yeah. those that like it, it's there's a lot to love. And it's okay if you don't. You can sub something else in, whatever, you know. <laughs> but I love it. And from what I understand, you also like it. Sure Logan, do. Right? <laughs> so my absolute favorite gin ever is Hendrix. And in my research, I got the best surprise ever. They recently came out with a limited release of gin called Midsummer Solstice. 
How perfect is that? Ooh, just perfect it's for so this perfect. time of year. Yeah. <laughs> and this episode, because this episode is all about midsummer stories. So I'm researching the midsummer and the solstice, and up pops like Hendrix in this picture of this gorgeous bottle of gin. And this this bottle really is so pretty. And I'm <laughs> like a huge sucker for a gorgeous bottle. And this is like the prettiest shade of this dark purple glass. Oh, I love it. Uh, my favorite brand, my favorite kind of liquor, and it's perfect for this episode yeah. because of its what it's called. And a midsummer right? special. So, it's just perfect. So, um, but this gin, it is a little bit more citrusy than their original, the original gin that they make. And this is like the second limited edition of anything they've ever made. They've only made Hendrix gin itself for like 20 years mm-hmm. ever. And just recently they've made one and now this one. So... The original, it's it's got more of like the the juniper floral botanical notes, and it just has like a little hint of citrus. But the midsummer solstice one leads with like lemon zest and orange and orange blossom, and and then it has like the juniper and lavender, and then it actually finishes with like a hint of dark spice. So it's tastes a lot different. Um, it's definitely still floral because it's gin. <laughs> And it's it's inspired by like all the beautiful sunshine and the flowers that all bloom in midsummer. But I think that it might be more palatable for somebody that kind of teeters on that edge of actually liking gin. <laughs> for, um, for those that aren't quite sure. This might be one to try to see if you like it. Um, I'd recommend getting it soon because it is a limited run. So like once it's out, they're never making it again. So definitely pick one up but at the same time with with, with some <laughs> with some bottling operations they'll just put they that on that. there yeah like a, yeah my dad and i share a favorite beer and it's oktoberfest year round <laughs> yes i mean i don't know if they will because they've never made limited stuff before so with them it very well could be but i hope it's not yeah you know because yeah. i really like it and lucky for us they actually released a few cocktail suggestions on their site, like for specifically this gin. So we are letting the experts do their thing and we are just enjoying the taste. Oh, just right for Midsummer. Yeah. So it's called Midsummer Spritz. And uh, for what is in it, we have, and I have to preface this with, I'm going to say parts a lot. <laughs> so what you can do with gin is you can make it more gin or less gin as you want it. You just kind of decide how many ounces you want and then add the ratios based on the parts that you put in, if that makes sense. Yeah, or you can make one giant cooler for a whole party if you want. Exactly. Yeah. So so we have like one and a half parts of Hendrix Midsummer Solstice Gin. So say like you wanted three ounces of gin, you could do that, right? And then you would put in a quarter part of elderflower, the core. So if you wanted to make three ounces, you do half an ounce, right? Mm -hmm. And the elderflower, the core, that's like St. Germain is is an elderflower, the core, which you've probably seen the bottle. They're pretty cool looking. You could even go find a mini bottle of it if you're at a place that sells mini bottles. I love mini bottles. For some reason, Utah doesn't sell them, which super sucks. Yeah. But they're really cute and adorable, and the bottles are pretty. Well, they're so. a great way to try booze without getting an entire bottle's worth. It's so true. And it's smart for the, the people that make them, because they still charge a lot for yeah. mini bottles. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but it is it's tasty. And then you are going to add some soda water to taste. You're going to do a squeeze of lemon, and then you're going to garnish with a slice of orange and a slice of cucumber. So to make it, basically, you just combine the gin, the elderflower, the core, and the lemon juice into a rocks or wine glass over ice. Gently stir, and then you top it with soda water to taste, and then garnish. That sounds just right, yeah. Very easy, very refreshing. It is a little floral because that's gin. You know, if you want, you can add more juice to it and make it more citrusy. That's gin and juice is very much a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one of their other cocktails was uh, that gin with like a bunch of grapefruit juice. So if that sounds more up your alley, you know, that's definitely a way to go too. But they're yummy. So we are enjoying ours. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really a nice drink for a a nice summer, summer evening like tonight. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we've got some nice midsummer stories to tell everybody and, and kind of to go over. Um, we're going to do just kind of some exploring of, of this time of year, of this, yeah, uh, the, the solstice. Some and facts. So what? tell us a little bit about it, Lindsay. What'd you find? Well, before we get going on those, um, I did want to say that we do understand and acknowledge that for our friends that are in the Southern Hemisphere, it is technically winter. Yeah, sorry about that. We don't mean to be all Northern <laughs> yeah. Hemisphere-centric, but we live here. I mean, it hasn't seemed to bug you guys too much in the past, so like, hopefully it's not now. So we can just say, happy solstice, yeah. whichever it happens to be for you. Because it's either winter or summer. There's no place that it's not one of those two things <laughs> on Earth. So, <laughs> happy solstice. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about midsummer and the summer solstice. Uh, we are recording this obviously before our episode comes out because yeah. we're not mad. We've got to get like a run up to it. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's it an event. Like, yeah, it needs to go through some things before it gets to you guys. So, um, as of you hearing this episode, it will have been the summer solstice a couple of days ago. Oh yeah, we're, June twenty first. We're letting them behind the curtain. So so we yeah, so for for like any magic. anyone Ooh. who's like, when do they actually record? Okay, I'll give you a hint. We just had the strawberry moon. All right, Ooh. that's all you get to know yeah. about the magic of <laughs> podcast life. <laughs> Giving away all our secrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not like a month ago. That'd be terrible. We even got to keep it somewhat current, you know. When about it's true. The ways you never know of, what's going to happen. Of, of the magical and mystical and, and cryptids of the world. Yeah. And we just don't have enough time to get like that far ahead. Not even <laughs> so. close. <No. laughs> so basically, yeah, it was a couple of days ago. It was on June 21st at specifically 3.54 p.m. Universal Time or UTC, which used to be Greenwich Meridian Time. Uh, for us, that's in a few days. So, so the future. <laughs> We're almost there. Yeah. It's so weird. We're getting confusing here. <laughs> but I hope that you had a magical and sunshiny summer solstice. Yeah. Hello from the past, future people. Yay. Uh, I hope life is good up there. Like I hope your midsummer uh, solstice is really treating you well. Or, you know, or the, the short day, the your winter solstice for you down under, folks. There you go. Yeah. Greetings um, from the past. <laughs> And we hope that we enjoyed our future, too. Yeah, I hope we're there, too. <laughs> hope we're, you know, living it up. That, that sounds good. For sure. Yeah. So that was the summer solstice, specifically. Like, it's it's a scientific thing, right? Um, midsummer itself refers to the period of time around the summer solstice. So it's, like, June between June 19th and 25th. 
The exact dates of the celebrations within Midsummer vary between cultures, like all over the world. Um, nowadays, specifically, Midsummer Day is on June 24th, which means that Midsummer Night is tonight, June 23rd. So, uh, more on that date designation thing in a bit. Because I did say it was a period of time and also said that it was a specific day. Stay tuned. And it's both. (laughs) You may be wondering, doesn't the solstice mark the start of summer? I was wondering that. And if so, what's up with this whole mid-summer thing, right? How can it be both the beginning and the middle of summer? Yeah. Well, (laughs) you can blame astronomers and meteorologists for not being able to agree on a summer start date. Oh, yeah. It's like a brontosaurus (laughs) apatosaurus kind of thing. Exactly. (laughs) For a dinosaur film. (laughs) Which is not me. Yeah, if you can can bring it back to a dinosaur level, I can grasp it. I'm sure there are others like (laughs) me. To bring that. Yeah, okay. Okay, I get it now. (laughs) I can can equate this to that. Got it. Basically, astronomical summer begins on June 21st because it's determined by Earth's position relative to the sun. The exact time of it changes each year, and that's why we can say with precision, you know, what time the solstice occurs. And then the meteorological summer is determined by temperature. So it starts around June 1st and ends in August, which makes solstice a lot closer to the middle of summer. Like, not quite middle, but like a lot closer. Um, weirdly, the Earth is actually the farthest away from the sun during the summer solstice of the northern hemisphere. Like, uh, the heat comes from the tilts of the Earth, not the distance. Yep. So, pretty neat fact that I didn't know without, before coming into this, which maybe Logan probably did because he's a uh, science nerd. I remember some of this from college, but not enough to be an authority on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I read an article. <laughs> yeah. But yours is fresher and more up to date. That's so. definitely true. <laughs> All right. So another point to clarify. I did say I was getting back to this. Why aren't midsummer and summer solstice the same day? So like I said a bit ago, it is a period of several days surrounding the solstice. Throughout Europe, the summer solstice was celebrated as a pagan holiday on the longest day of the year. Uh, and it was kind of considered like this time when the boundaries between worlds were thin and anything could happen. Very magical. I think like All Hallows Eve type. Yeah. And, vibe, and I, can, right? I definitely get that. I was out for a, for a Pokemon Go walk the other night. and uh, Heck yeah, you were. And it was very scary. There was a lot of feels of, uh, of, of spookiness and things in the shadows. It was a very alive kind of night. And, I love it. And it's just a part of that uh, this time of year. It's the opposite of wintertime when, again, things are alive. There are sounds, there's movement, and you can hear from miles in every direction. It's kind of cool. It's so true. I mean, night itself is magical, but then you get to nights that have specific and special meaning, and especially um, nights that are short. Nights that are really long or really short, or they both have their own creepy, awesome vibe to them. Yeah. I, I just love it. It's so great. So, yeah, the boundaries between worlds are thin. It was also like a time to harness nature's magic kind of towards having good crops and fertility and just kind of drive away evil spirits and misfortune throughout the year, right? Mm -hmm. Because summer was like, especially in the really northern countries, you had short summers. So getting those crops is literally vital to your survival, right? Yeah. So you're going to do anything you can, as weird as it may seem to make sure that you can yeah, so you get the most summertime the you can year. yeah exactly so um 
then comes in the Christian church. Oh, yeah. There's (laughs) them. I forgot to tell everybody about that. They feature heavily in this episode because... They do. Yeah. You will see. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, the Christian church very often historically converted pagan holidays into something of their own, which was smart on their end because I think that's how they were able to kind of... Oh, totally, yeah. When they can... Like, when they, make it palatable becoming Christian. Yeah, when they can just know? rename stuff, but say, but say everything else stays the same as long as, yeah. as long as you do this, this, and this, plus this. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you have all these people coming from these folk religions... And they have all these expected things that they do, and they believe in them still. So the best way to kind of bridge that gap is to make it a holiday still, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Christmas is like that. Easter is like that. Midsummer is like that, too. So they've, they've um, the Christian church designated that St. John's Day Saint is June John, 24th. St. John, yeah. St. John. Like John the Baptist, St. John. Yep. And that's on the 24th of June. So, um, and, and that's because in the Bible, according to the Bible, John was born six months before Jesus. So it's like, you know, summer and winter holidays, bam, right there. All right. That's assuming, right. you know, we're sticking with the tw- December 25th birth date, which is backed yeah, up which by nothing. Yeah. And- <laughs> it's the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but they, it's, it's what they have to. De- have decided yeah. many, many moons ago. And, so. and, and well, we try to keep an open mind to all stories and, and including the Christian ones. Uh, yeah. And I think we're just biased because we've been very close to that. Uh, and that's been yeah. the, it's, that's the nearest religion we've been associated with in our lives. And everything else is so much more vibrant and exotic and exciting. Yeah. Because we don't because know everything. It's different. And <laughs> partly because, well, eh, we're from Utah. So. <laughs> It's it's Utah is a saturated place religiously. Oh yeah, so totally. uh, but it, it's so kind we're of, not. <laughs> but I think for both of us, it's kind of given us a platform uh, from which to explore other things and and made us yeah. grow, both grow up into people that wanted to learn about other places. So, for sure, definitely, yeah. yeah. And so we're not we're not ragging on Christians at all. It's it's more just like this is fact that the Christian Church came in and made these changes to holidays. And they, uh, a lot of them have stuck around. So, like, St. John's Eve and Day are both super celebrated still in a lot of countries. But Midsummer celebrations are prevalent, too. A lot of the traditions from the Midsummer celebrations carried straight on over to St. John's Eve, like uh, bonfires and that sort of thing. So, and honestly, there are a ton of summer solstice celebrations from all around the world. Yeah. But we are not going to go into them tonight <laughs> because no, that's a lot. There's plenty of them, yeah. Um, but I also really think that they'd make a great future episode, you know? Yeah. we got to do something next summer, so we'll do that. There will be another solstice next year. We will need things yeah. to talk about. So exactly. uh, until we're down to just like jazz and blues festivals of, of the different summer times. Uh, we'll, Which I'm fine with. Yeah. That's also a fun little topic. <laughs> <laughs> but all I'll say for now is that that if you want to have a bonfire and jump over it a few times, tonight is a pretty good night that, for it. That, that's, yeah. And a disclaimer, we are not responsible if you hurt yourself doing this. But we do endorse you trying. <laughs> <laughs> do not send us medical bills. Yeah. <laughs> but it could be really fun. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, cool. Obviously, the bonfire thing is a, is a tradition. Yeah. You jump over it. So, anyway. <laughs> And if, and if you're not familiar with that, uh, look it up. 
And or yeah, yeah. go to show notes because I have a plethora of links. Oh yeah, Lindsay will have it down there. And it, <laughs> yeah, jumping over bonfires. I guess not everybody does that. Okay, cool. <laughs> yep, and it has to be multiple times too. Yeah. Anyway, once doesn't. We'll count. talk about that next summer. It'll be great. Well, cool. So, but this let's summer, get into our story. Yeah, we've got some other stories, and we've got some good ones. So uh, let's let's get rolling. We're like with them. half an hour in. I Ooh. know, but it it's is gonna be a long episode, guys. Sorry, <laughs> it's the longest day of the year. We can have a long. That's one. That's true. It's appropriate. Yep. So our first story is called "True and Untrue," and it's by Sir George Webb Dawson from the book "Popular Tales from the Norse." It is obviously Norse. All right. So let's check it out. True and Untrue Once on a time there were two brothers. One was called True, and the other Untrue. True was always upright and good toward all, but Untrue was bad and full of lies, so that no one could believe what he said. Their mother was a widow and hadn't much to live on, so when her sons had grown up, she was forced to send them away, that they might earn their bread in the world. Each got a little scrip with some food in it, and then they went their way. Now when they had walked till evening, they sat down on a windfall in the wood and took out their scraps, for they were always hungry after walking the whole day, and thought a morsel of food would be sweet enough. If you are of my mind, said Untrue, I think we had better eat out of your scrip, so long as there is anything in it, and after that we can take it to mine. Yes, True was all pleased with this, so they fell to eating. But Untrue got all the best bits and stuffed himself with them, while True only got the burnt crusts and scraps. Next morning they broke their fast off True's food, and they dined off it too, and then there was nothing left in his scrip. So when they had walked till late at night and were ready to eat again, True wanted to eat out of his brother's scrip, but Untrue said no. The food was his, and that he only had enough for himself. Nay, but you ate of my scrip so long as there was anything in it, said True. All very fine, I dare say, answered Untrue. But if you are such a fool as to let others eat up your food before your face, you must make the best of it. For now, all you have to do is sit there and starve. Very well, said True. You're untrue by name and untrue by nature. So you have been, and so you will be all your life long. But when Untrue heard this, he flew into a rage and rushed at his brother and plucked out both of his eyes. Now try if you can. See whether folk are untrue or not, you blind buzzard. And so saying, he ran away and left him. Poor True. There he went walking along and feeling his way through the thick wood, Blind and alone, he scarce knew which way to turn, when all at once he caught hold of the trunk of the great bushy lime tree. So he thought he would climb up into it, and sit there till the night was over for fear of the wild beasts. When the birds begin to sing, he said to himself, then I shall know it is day, and I can try to grope my way farther on. So he climbed up into the lime tree. After he had sat there a little time, he heard how someone came and began to make a stir and clatter under the tree. And soon after, others came. And when they began to greet one another, he found out it was Bruin the bear, and Greylegs the wolf, and Slyboots the fox, and Longears the hare, who had come to keep St. John's Eve under the tree. 
So they began to eat and drink and be merry, and when they had done eating, they fell to gossiping together. At last the fox said, Shan't we each of us tell a little story while we sit here? Well, the others had nothing against that. It would be good fun, they said, and the bear began, for you may fancy he was king of the company. Mm, the king of England, said Bruin, has such bad eyesight that he can scarce see a yard before him. And if he only came to this lime tree in the morning, when the dew is still on the leaves, and took and rubbed his eyes with the dew, he would get back his sight as good as ever. Very true, said Greylegs. The king of England has a deaf and dumb daughter, too. But if he only knew what I know, he would soon cure her. Last year she went to the communion. She let a crumb of bread fall out of her mouth, and a great toad came and swallowed it down. But if they only dug up the chancel floor, they would find the toad sitting right under the altar rails, with the bread still sticking in its throat. If they were to cut the toad open and take and give the bread to the princess, she would be like other folk again, as to her speech and hearing. That's all very well, said the fox. But if the king of England knew what I know, he would not be so badly off for water in his palace. For under the great stone, in his palace yard, is a spring of the clearest water one could wish for, if he only knew to dig for it there. Ha! said the hare in a small voice. The king of England has the finest orchard in the whole land, but it does not bear so much as a crab, for there lies a heavy gold chain in three turns round the orchard. If he got that dug up, there would not be a garden like forbearing in all his kingdom. Very true, I do say, said the fox. But now it's getting very late, and we may as well go home. So they all went away together. After they were gone, True fell asleep as he sat up in the tree. But when the birds began to sing at dawn, he woke up and took the dew from the leaves, and rubbed his eyes with it, and so got his sight back, as good as it was before, and Drew plucked his eyes out. Then he went straight to the king of England's palace, and begged for work, and got it on the spot. So one day the king came out into the palace yard, and when he had walked about a bit, he wanted to drink out of his pump, for you must know the day was hot, and the king was very thirsty. But when they poured him a glass... It was so muddy and nasty and foul that the king got quite vexed. I don't think there's ever a man in my old kingdom who has such bad water in his yard as I, and yet I bring it in pipes from far over hill and dale, cried out the king. Like enough, your majesty, said True, but if you would let me have some men to help me dig up this great stone which lies here in the middle of your yard, you would see good water and plenty of it. Well, the king was willing enough, and they had scarcely got the stone well out, and dug under it a while before a jet of water sprang out high up into the air, as clear and full as if it came out of a conduit, and clearer water was not to be found in all of England. A little while after, the king was out in his palace yard again, and there came a great hawk flying after his chicken, and all the king's men began to clap their hands and bawl out, There he flies! There he flies! The king caught up his gun and tried to shoot the hawk, but he couldn't see so far, so he soon fell into great grief. Would to heaven, he said, there was anyone who could tell me a cure for my eyes, for I think I shall soon go quite blind. I can tell you one soon enough, said True, and then he told the king what he had done to cure his own eyes, and the king set off that very afternoon to the lime tree 
as you may fancy, and his eyes were quite cured as soon as he rubbed them with the dew which was on the leaves in the morning. From that time forth, there was no one whom the king held so dear as true, and he had to be with him wherever he went, both at home and abroad. So one day, as they were walking together in the orchard, the king said, I can't tell how it is that I can't. There isn't a man in England who spends so much on his orchard as I, and yet I can't get one of these trees to bear so much as a crab. Well, said True, if I may have what lies three times twisted round your orchard, and men to dig it up, your orchard will soon bear well enough. Yes, the king was quite willing. So True got men and began to dig, and at last he dug up the whole gold chain. Now True was a rich man, far richer indeed than the king himself. But still the king was well pleased for his orchard bore so that the boughs of the trees hung down to the ground, and such sweet apples and pears nobody had ever tasted. Another day, too, the king and True were walking about, and talking together, when the princess passed them, and the king was quite downcast when he saw her. Isn't it a pity now, that so lovely a princess's mind should want speech and hearing? He said to True. Aye, but there is a cure for that, said True. When the king heard that, he was so glad that he had promised him the princess to wife, and half his kingdom into the bargain, if he could get her right again. So True took a few men, and went into the church, and dug up the toad, which sat under the altar rails. Then he cut open the toad, and took out the bread, and gave it to the king's daughter. And from that hour she got back her speech, and could talk like other people. Now True was to have the princess, and they got ready for the bridal feast, and such a feast there had never been seen before. It was the talk of the whole land. Just as they were in the midst of dancing the bridal dance, in came a beggar lad, and begged for a morsel of food, and he was so ragged and wretched that everyone crossed themselves when they looked at him. But True knew him at once, and saw that it was untrue, his brother. "'Do you know me again?' said True. "'Oh, where should I, a one such as I, have ever seen so great a lord?' said untrue. Still, you have seen me before, said True. It was I whose eyes you plucked out a year ago this very day. Untrue by name and untrue by nature. So I said before and so I say now. But you are still my brother, and so you shall have some food. After that, you may go to the lime tree, where I sat last year. If you hear anything that can do you good, you'll be lucky. So Untrue did not wait to be told twice. Hmm, if True has got so much good by sitting in the lime tree that in one year he has come to be king of a half England, what good may not I get? he thought. So he set off and climbed into the lime tree. He had not sat there long before all the beasts came as before, and ate and drank and kept St. John's Eve under the tree. When they had left off eating, the fox wished that they should begin to tell stories. And Untrue got ready to listen, with all his might, till his ears were almost fit to fall off. But Bruin the bear was surly, and growled, and said, Hmm, someone has been chattering about what we said last year, and so we will hold our tongues about what we know. And with that, the beasts bade one another good night, and parted, and Untrue was just as wise as he was before. And the reason was that his name was untrue and his nature untrue, too. All right. So, untrue. Yeah. Was so weaselly. He was a bad guy and got 
kind of his comeuppance. Uh, <laughs> I will say that he did have a lot of personality for such a short story, like a super terrible personality, but it was very present. Yeah, I it, this was a very character dense kind of story, and I liked some of the writing that the uh, when I was picking voices for these characters, there was just enough description mm-hmm. to the characters to make it kind of fun to. I don't know, oh yeah, to, for sure. And I love your one. voices. Oh, thank you. They are so fun, especially the animals. I, I yeah, that's those are all voices I try on my dog before putting into the stories. <laughs> so, he's he's oh, our he's my focus. Group. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, this again. He's like, that you shouldn't do that one, Logan. Okay, now you keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the best names, like Slyboots. Yeah, I love that all the animals had names. That, that gray <laughs> legs, the wolf, and. Uh, and Bruin so the bear. Cool. Yeah. So I liked all the animals in that one. Mm. I don't know. I kind of felt True was a little, you know, just. Goody goody. Yeah. He was, he's, he's vanilla he ice be, cream and he's the. He has to be the polar opposite guy. though. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's exactly what you'd expect. The hero. Right. You know. Yeah. Towards the beginning of the story with Untrue plucking out True's eyes, like. That's a pretty harsh reaction to somebody's criticism. Yeah, that's that's where it rang a little bit Norse to me, right? Yeah, there. that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> I was like, it, then again, it's like a Norse tale, so uh, yeah. maybe that, that has something to do with it. <laughs> so, Logan. Yes. You are somebody that I would expect to be able to survive hardship in nature. Um, what would you do if somebody plucked your eyes out? Oh, if somebody plucked my eyes out. Now, here's... Okay, first of all, that's that's hard. That's a toughie. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but I've got pretty pretty solid ears. Um, I hear a lot of things, and uh, I feel like I could kind of echolocate my way around. Uh, a good and proper stick is just, is something you I just need. imagine you like screeching like a bat. So but you- yeah, so I'm now blind, wandering <laughs> through through the. I have the woods. sonar. It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, I go towards sound. I mean, things like you, if you hear water running, move towards that. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Again, this is a situation that a dog would come in handy. Uh, again, point dog, uh, just in case a- anyone's keeping track. Because uh, <laughs> otherwise, I'm a blind guy in the woods. And no offense to any of our mm-hmm. blind listeners, uh, but it's, that's a difficult situation. I'm sure we can all agree. Yeah, uh, and especially <laughs> unexpected blindness. Yeah, yeah, and we're an talking extreme amount of blindness. pain. Yeah, so too. so how do I get pain out of it? And, um, pain is probably the worst part of this. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah, you know. Uh, now you you could train a hawk on the spot to lead you out of the forest, but that's yeah. that's a high order. That's a that's a very strong a skill role. You'd need a natural twenty <laughs> to pull that off. But <laughs> very true. <laughs> natural twenty in animal handling. <laughs> yeah, not really falconry on the spot. Not my strongest suit, but I uh, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, for sure. Would your first reaction be to climb a tree? Oh, climb a tree if if it's a lime tree. Um, I now now that you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, fun fact, I was climbing a tree this afternoon. Um, I was, I was in, in an arboreal state not long ago. Now, is it something I could do blind? Oh, not very well. I would, I would do a lot of shimmying. Um, that would be really difficult. Like it'd be an inchworm situation. Yeah. To get up there blind and in excessive pain. Yeah. I, you know, when I was reading this story, uh, I did like the use of the word grope. Uh, it was in there a lot as a verb, <laughs> and, and I kind of feel that's what his experience would have been. Uh, you know, true 
he he's not doing anything without groping first. That's his verb. Because <laughs> you have to. I mean, you're blind, right? Yeah. But he um he did seem to be able to use logic pretty well, even though he was in that immense amount of pain. Yeah, yeah. He um, and he paid attention. Got pretty pretty lucky that it was by chance a magic tree. Yeah, magic tree, <laughs> talking animals. You know, pretty standard fairy yeah, tale yeah, stuff. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, he he definitely lucked out in that situation. Other than the you know severe pain of being blinded. Yeah. Now you know we we've got to again deduct a point from the from the story for the 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 king wanting to just marry off his daughter as a prize. Uh, yeah. That's we never we never like seeing that, and we want to see less of it in the world. Yeah. So definitely not a huge fan of her treatment. Yeah. I mean, she was she was all she was an auxiliary character, right? Yeah. She was also considered less than due to a disability, which is never okay. That's not and cool. Then, even more so, like, giving away, like, an item, which is yeah. doubly not okay. Oh, so, damn not cool. it. Why did this story have to go and do that? Um, other yeah. than that, uh, solid little fun story. Yeah. I did feel like the the king was, like, really giving. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, cool. You do that. All right, come on. I'll give you a job. Hey there, oh, commoner. You, to- you seem exceptionally helpful. Here, take everything. <laughs> exactly. And, like... First off, you can't blame him for, like, the latter stuff because, I mean, everything that True said was true, mm-hmm. right? Like, they all came to fruition and were beneficial to him, so sure. But I would feel, like, a little bit more hesitation the first time, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's a, it seemed a little uh, too good to be true, like, too lucky. But also, I guess he was super lucky, so I don't he, know. He is a lucky, lucky guy. Um, except for the eyes getting plucked out part. I'm going to chalk yeah, that. Yeah, but that's, that lasted, part. what, like a few hours? Yeah, then he was immediately cured. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In a way that nobody uh, before had been cured. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and then just like a snap and a year later, bam, oh, I have literally everything I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't know. Very accommodating king seemed unlikely, but I guess maybe for the sake of brevity, that's what happened. I am a little surprised that Untrue even survived, to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah. a year later, he shows up alive still. <laughs> Doesn't remember his brother. So, I mean, he's clearly not had a great he's time. He's had a rough go of things. He's, But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd kind of like to know his story, too. Like, what happened to him that year? Yeah, that'd be a fun, fun little. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it'd be a full book, but a fun story to write. The no, just <laughs> probably not. Um, I I did really like that True gave him an on like an opportunity to to be lucky like True had been, but but because True was untrue, he didn't actually deserve the luck, you know. And so I guess that's kind of the moral of the story: good things come to good people. Obviously, we know that that is not inherently true. There are plenty of yeah. really bad people who but have great sometimes luck. Sometimes <laughs> it does, and it makes for good yeah. stories. Yeah, you know, and we just, I just think of all those really good people that have truly terrible luck. So, yeah. Yeah. but it is nice to see the world so black and white once in a while, even though we know it isn't, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's very, very, very gray. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, I guess the, the, the easy answer takeaway on this one is that, you know, tell the truth. Don't be untrue. Don't do what untrue do, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Listen to animals on 
Yep. St. John's Eve. And I mean, uh, I did want to point that out too. Uh, St. John's Eve is present in the story uh, a couple of times, which is what makes this a Midsummer Tale. Yeah. I, we've learned that it's St. John's Eve too. I noticed uh, that the animals are Christian, yet the humans don't seem to be in this world. <laughs> it's kind of weird. They seem very concerned about the King of England. So just... One of those odd things of, of the time that it was published. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Kind of strange. So, uh, all right, cool. Let's move on to our next story. It is called In Midsummer Days, and it's by August Stringberg, and this is translated by Ellie Schlusner, and it is a Swedish tale. So let's go. In Midsummer Days. In Midsummer Days, when in the countries of the North, the earth is a bride, when the ground is full of gladness, when the brooks are still running, the flowers in the meadows still untouched by the scythe, and all the birds singing, a dove flew out of the wood, and sat down before the cottage in which the ninety-year-old granny lay in her bed. The old woman had been bedridden for twenty years, but she could see through her window everything that happened in the farmyard, which was managed by her two sons. But she saw the world and the people in her own peculiar manner, for time and the weather had painted her window panes with all the colors of the rainbow. She need but turn her head a little, and things appeared successively red, yellow, green, blue, and violet. If she happened to look out on a cold winter's day, when the trees were covered with hoarfrost, and the white foliage looked as if it were made of silver, she had but to turn her head a little on the pillow, and all the trees were green. It was summertime, the plowed fields were yellow, and the sky looked blue, even if a moment before it had been ever so gray. And therefore the old granny imagined that she could work magic, and was never bored. But the magical window panes possessed another quality. They bulged a little, and consequently they magnified or reduced every object which came into their field of vision. Whenever therefore her grown-up son came home in a bad temper and scolded everybody, Granny had but to wish him to be a good little boy again, and straight away she saw him quite small. Or when she watched her grandchildren playing in the yard and thought of their future, one, two, three, she changed her position ever so slightly, and they became grown-up men and women, as tall as giants. All during the summer the window stood open, for then the window panes could not show her anything so beautiful as the reality. And now on Midsummer Eve, the most beautiful time of all the year, she lay there and looked at the meadows and toward the wood, where the dove was singing its song. It sang most beautifully of the Lord Jesus, and the joy and splendor of the kingdom of heaven, where all are welcome who are weary and heavy laden. The old woman listened to the song for a little while, and then she laid that she was much obliged, but that heaven could be no more beautiful than the earth itself. Thereupon the dove flew away over the mountain into the mountain glen, where the farmer stood digging a well. He stood in a deep hole which he had dug, three yards below the surface. It was just as if he were standing in his grave. The dove settled on a fir tree and sung of the joy of heaven, quite convinced that the man in the hole, who could see neither sky nor sea nor meadow, must be longing for heaven. No, said the farmer, I must first dig a well. Otherwise my summer guest will have no water, and the unhappy little mother will take her child and go and live elsewhere. The dove flew down to the strand, when the farmer's brother was busy hauling in the fishing nets. It sat among the rushes, and began to sing. No, said the farmer's brother, I must provide food for my family, otherwise my children will cry with hunger. 
Later on, later on, I tell you. Let's live first and die afterwards. And the dove flew to the pretty cottage, where the unhappy little mother had taken rooms for the summer. She sat on the veranda, working at a sewing machine. Her face was as white as a lily, and her red felt hat looked like a huge poppy on her hair, which was as black as a morning veil. She was busy making a pinafore, which her little girl was to wear on Midsummer Eve, and the child sat at her feet on the floor, cutting up little pieces of material which were not wanted. "'Why isn't Daddy coming home?' asked the little girl, looking up. That was a very difficult question, so difficult that the young mother could not answer it, and very possibly Daddy could not have answered it either, for he was far away in a foreign country with his grief, which was twice as great as Mammy's. The sewing machine was not in good order, but it stitched and stitched. It made as many pricks as a human heart can bear before it breaks, but every prick only served to pull the thread tighter. It was curious. I want to go to the village, Mammy, said the little girl. I want to see the sun, for it is so dark here. You shall go and play in the sunshine this afternoon, darling. I must tell you that it was very dark between the high cliffs on this side of the island. The cottage stood in a gloomy pine grove, which completely hid the view of the sea. And I want you to buy me lots of toys, Mammy. Darling, we have so little money to buy toys with, answered the mother, bending her head still lower over their work. And that was the truth, for their comfort had changed into penury. They had no servant, and the mother had to do the whole housework herself. But when she saw the sad face of the little girl, she took her on her knees. Put your little arms round Mammy's neck, she said. The little one obeyed. Now give Mammy a kiss. The rosy little half-open mouth, which looked like the mouth of a little bird, was pressed against her lips. And when the blue eyes, as blue as the flower of the flax, smiled into hers, her beautiful face reflected the sweet innocence of the little one and made her look like a happy child herself, playing in the sunshine. No use my singing to them of the kingdom of heaven, thought the dove. But if I can in any way serve them, I will. And then it flew away toward the sunny village, for it had work to do there. It was afternoon now. The little mother took a basket on one arm and the child's little hand into hers, and they left the cottage. She had never been to the village, but she knew that it was situated somewhere toward sunset, on the other side of the island. And the farmer had told her that she would have to get over six stiles and walk through six latticed gates before she could get there. And on they went. Their way lay along a footpath, full of stones and old tree roots, so that she was obliged to carry the little girl. And that was very hard work. The doctor had told her that the child must not strain her left foot, because it was so weak that it might easily have grown deformed. The young mother staggered along, under her beloved burden, and large beads of perspiration stood like pearls on her forehead, for it was very hot in the wood. I'm so thirsty, Mammy, whispered the little complaining voice. Have patience, darling. There will be plenty of water when we get there. And she kissed the little parched mouth, and the child smiled and forgot all about her thirst. But the scorching rays of the sun burned their skin, and there was not a breath of air in the wood. Try and walk a little, darling, said the mother, putting the child down. But the little foot gave way, and the child could not walk a step. I am so tired, Mommy. She laid, sitting down and beginning to cry. But the prettiest little flowers, which looked just like rose-colored bells and smelt of sweet almonds, grew all over the spot where she was sitting. She smiled when she saw them, 
for she had never seen anything half as lovely, and her smile strengthened the heart of the mother, so that she could continue her walk with the child in her arms. Now they had arrived at the first gate. They passed through it and carefully refastened the latch. All of a sudden, they heard a noise like a loud neighing. A horse galloped towards them, blocked the path, and neighed again. Its neighing was answered on the right and the left, and from all sides of the wood. The ground trembled, the branches of the trees cracked, and the stones were scattered in all directions by the approaching hoofs. In less than no time, the poor, frightened travelers were surrounded on all sides by a herd of savage horses. The child hid her face on her mother's shoulder, and her little heart ticked with fear like a watch. I am so frightened, she whispered. Oh, Father in heaven, help us, prayed the mother. At the same moment, a blackbird, sitting on a fir tree, began to sing. The horses scudded away as fast as they could, and there was once more silence in the wood. They came to the second gate, walked through and refastened the latch. They were on fallow ground now, and the sun scorched them even worse than it had done before. They saw before them rows and rows of dull clods of earth, but in a steep place, the clods suddenly began to move. And then they knew that what they had taken for clods of earth were really the backs of a flock of sheep. Sheep are quite gentle and inoffensive, especially the little lambs. But that is a good deal more than can be said of the ram, who is a savage brute and often takes delight in attacking those who have never done him any harm. There he was already, jumping over a ditch right into the middle of their path. He lowered his head and walked a few steps backwards. I am so frightened, Mammy, said the little girl, and her heart began to beat fast. Oh, merciful Father in heaven, help us, sighed the mother, with an imploring look upwards, and high up, in the blue vault of the sky, fluttering its wings like a butterfly, a little lark began to sing, and as it sang, the ram disappeared among the gray clods. They stood before the third gate, they were on a slope now. The ground was swampy, and before long they came to a crevice. The hillocks looked like little graves, overgrown with vetch or white cotton flowers, and they had to be careful to avoid sinking into the swamp. Black berries of a poisonous kind grew in abundance everywhere. The little girl wanted to gather them, and because her mother would not permit it, she began to cry, for she did not understand what poisonous meant. And as they walked on, they noticed a white sheet, which looked as if it had been drawn in and out through the trees. The sun disappeared behind a bank of clouds and a white darkness, which was very went towards them, hoping to find some water in the place whence they came. They passed a white cottage, behind a green fence, with a white gate. The gate stood hospitably open. They entered and found themselves in a garden where peonies and columbines grew. The mother noticed that the curtains in the lower story were all drawn before the windows, and that all the curtains were white, but one of the attic windows stood open, and a white hand appeared above the pots of nine touch-me-nots. It waved a little white handkerchief, as if it were waving a last farewell to one who was going on a long journey. They walked as far as the cottage. In the high grass lay a wreath of myrtle and white roses, but it was too big for a bridal wreath. They went through the front door, and the mother called out if anybody were in. As there was no reply, they went into the parlor. On the floor, surrounded by a whole forest of flowers, stood a black coffin with silver feet, and in the coffin lay a young girl with a bridal crown on her head. 
The walls of the room were made of new pine wood and only varnished with oil, so that all the knots were visible, and the knots in the knot holes looked for all the world like so many eyes. Oh, just look at all the eyes, Mammy, exclaimed the little girl. Yes, there were eyes of every description, big eyes, eloquent eyes, grave eyes, little shining baby eyes, with a lurking smile in the corner, wicked eyes, which showed too much white, frank and candid eyes, which looked one straight into the heart, and over there, a big gentle mother's eye, which regarded the dead girl lovingly, and a transparent tear of resin trembled on the lid, and sparkled in the setting sun, like a green and red diamond. Is she asleep? asked the child, looking into the face of the dead girl. Yes, she is asleep. Is she a bride, Mammy? Yes, darling. The mother had recognized her. It was the girl who was to be a bride on Midsummer Day, when her sailor lover would return home. But the sailor had written to say that he would not be home until the autumn, and his letter had broken her heart, for she could not bear to wait until the autumn, when the leaves would drop dead from the trees, and the winter wind would have a rough game with them in the lanes and alleys. She had heard the song of the dove, and taken it to heart. The young mother left the cottage. Now she knew where she would go. She put the heavy basket down outside the gate, and took the child into her arms, and so she walked across the meadow which separated her from the shore. The meadow was a perfect sea of flowers, waving and whispering round her ankles. The pollen water was calm and blue, and presently it was not water through which they sailed, but the blue blossoms of the flax, which she had gathered in her outstretched hands, and the flowers bent down and rose up again, whispering, lapping against the sides of the boat like little waves. The flax field before them appeared to be infinite, but presently a white mist enveloped them, and they heard the splashing of real waves. But above the mist, they heard a lark singing. How does the lark come to sing on the sea? Asked the child. The sea is so green that the lark takes it for a meadow, answered the mother. The mist had dispersed again. The sky was blue, and the lark was still singing. Then they saw, straight before them, in the middle of the sea, a green island with a white sandy beach, and people, dressed all in pure white, walking hand in hand. The setting sun shone on the golden roof of a colonnade, where white fires burnt in sacred sacrificial vessels, and the green island was spanned by a rainbow, the color of which was rose red and sedge green. What is it, Mammy? The mother could make no reply. Is it the kingdom of heaven, of which the dove sang? What is the kingdom of heaven, Mammy? A place, darling, where all people love one another, answered the mother where there is neither grief nor strife. Then let us go to there, said the child. Yes, we will go, said the tired, forsaken little mother. Whew, oh. That was a long one. Yeah, yeah, that one, that was, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie, that was a hard one to read. Uh, that <laughs> was, <laughs> I feel bad for you. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, uh, but you know, like like we say, uh, these are stories that people do care care about and tell. And, and it was it was pretty and it was lyrical words, but definitely very hard to get through. Yeah. Uh, there and was a lot of birds. There was there clearly, birds. there was clearly some symbolism there. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like things represented other things. 
many much yes yeah uh, of all of this birds and plants and flowers and summertime and brides and the coffin and the glass yeah yeah there were Crazy. lots of lots of good images uh that kind of read like a screenplay to a music video yeah um, i felt just- like i needed to sit down like i felt like this was something i would read in like college english class and be like digging in for meaning and it would take a lot more brain power than I was willing to give to the story. Yeah. And then usually it's, it comes down to the professor giving you Deciding, like one, yeah. one key piece of biographical information from the author. And it means so, everything. And then you're like, Oh, <laughs> they had a miscarriage earlier that year. Yeah. Then, then it makes sense. But yeah. in this instance, I, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, Definitely. uh, I didn't, I didn't hate the story. It just is felt like there's more to it that I'm just, yeah, uh, as far as the structure goes, as far as what things represent. But yeah, it did have some some nice lyrical quality, like you mentioned, and, mm-hmm. and painted some really nice images. Yeah, and I think that my favorite part of this was definitely the magical rainbow window at the beginning. Yeah, I, I <laughs> really got excited about that part. And it was then very cool. The story didn't come back around be, to that. Yeah, I was hoping it was all going to be about that window. That window. Oh, now, okay, <laughs> have you been watching... Uh, Nosferatu on AMC. Okay, wait, what? It is a new series on that AMC. They made, what? And it yes, it's by it's the say the book by Joe Hill. Because I have seen the original Nosferatu, like the nineteen twenties black and white silent film. And this is and where I amazing. say it's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. There's not much more to go from there. Yeah. yeah so uh but it's a it's a modern um kind of soul vampire and so Joe Hill is the the pen name of the guy who is Stephen King's son, whose real name I have forgotten, but Joe Something Hill is King? who you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Joe Mr. Hill. Mr. King too. Mr. King the Junior. Um, yes. <laughs> so it's a really cool book that has kind of the same idea of people who are able to focus on one thing to cut through to another place. Interesting. And, That's a really cool concept. And that image of, uh, you know, just manipulating oneself and one's own perspective just enough to see something different. I really liked that. That was something that yeah. that did kind of jive and resonate with me. I need to check that show out. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> that sounds uh, right up my alley. <laughs> it's it's scary. Uh, it's I'm, it's odd that they are releasing it in summertime. It is that is very of, weird. It does have kind of some Christmas themes to it, and it's odd it that it's be in, it should be in October, really. Yeah. It's but pretty sweet show. If anyone has AMC out there, give that one a shot. Uh, Zachary Quinto plays both old version and young version of himself. I love Zachary Quinto. Yeah, um, he's so good as Siler. If you guys ever watched Heroes, man. Yeah, he's and he's and he's, so and he's good and he's very scary in this one. And a great Spock too. He's very yeah, versatile. he's a he's he's a pretty good Spock. So yeah, anything else on on this story? Uh, well, I did want to touch on Nosferatu for just <laughs> oh yeah yeah. <laughs> if we want to talk Nosferatu, yeah, super cool show. Uh, so so if you're looking for it on the book, it's a very good audiobook as well, uh, and it's N zero S the numeral four then A and then the numeral two as an, and the part oh, of it is it, it's a like van a- it's a vanity license plate of a car <laughs> that features very heavily in the story. So it's not like his name or anything? Nope, not his name or anything like that. There are some parallels as far as 
kind of the the preying on the innocent and right. and and absorbing one energy to feed another uh but uh that's about as far as it goes <laughs> well, well what I, what i wanted to say about nosferatu though is i mentioned earlier that one of the best plays i ever saw was macbeth right yeah um the other best play i've ever seen was nosferatu <laughs> it was a college performance and i can't remember where i think it was like UVU, I think, which is the local school here. But basically, I went with a bunch of friends, and I can't remember if you were there or not, Logan. I don't think I was. um, Basically, everybody that it was on Halloween night, and we all like everyone there was in costume. I was Carmen Sandiego because it was super fun. So that I was Hellboy that year. Uh, Yeah, you were. If if you were Carmen Sandiego, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So we went. Everybody was dressed up. So. The vibe of fun was already there because it's Halloween, right? And this play was so cool because what they did is they took clips from the silent film mm-hmm. of Nosferatu and they played them on these giant screens above the stage. Uh, and they also had somebody with they had all the ar- their actors and stuff in makeup that reads well on black and white film. Cool. And they actually filmed it in black and white live onto the screens that are above the stage. So you had three separate sets with on like that were on the stage and they would film it and you would be a totally different angle. And you could, it was really cool because it was this weird play between theater and film. Yeah. And, and you were and seeing both at the same time. Now, did they speak or did they only use uh, no, no speech? Okay. Oh. I don't, not that I remember. This was several years ago, so yeah. it may have been, but I don't think so, because that was what was so cool about it. You know, yeah. um, I'm pretty sure that they put up t- subtitles or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But it cool. was one of the neatest experiences theater-wise that I've ever been to. Just a really creative use of a combination between live theater and you know old black and white film. Yeah. And, and I- he's a vampire, <laughs> so it's freaking cool. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> awesome. That sounds really cool. I think it's, I, I, I don't know, I, I grew up doing theater for a lot of weird reasons, and it's it's always <laughs> been just a fun thing to do. Uh, yeah. And it certainly has a certain kind of magic to it. And there's a, there's a very particular magic that comes to summer shows. Just doing a, a show when it's uh, often, uh, our, our summer shows are outdoors here. And it's funny, every time I'm doing a show in an amphitheater, I always swear I'll never do one again. Uh, until Doing shows outside is hard. <laughs> yeah, until the next year when I do another one in an amphitheater. Exactly. <laughs> the next summer when you forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm never gonna work outside ever again. And- <laughs> For sure. Um. So I did want to talk really quickly about the Midsummer Day story a little bit more. Yeah. So the eyes in the cabin with the dead girl. Mm-hmm. That was all pretty creepy. Yeah. They- also really cool. <laughs> It made me think of uh, the faces in uh, in the wood in Game of Thrones, uh, the the old trees that oh, uh, yeah, from yeah. the first men. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that there are a lot of different uh, many that are yeah like, yeah there there are a lot yeah, of different faces in tree kind of things. Uh, that's just the most recent freshest one with the best special effects in my memory. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so the dove. Do you think the dove was like death? Because the the dead girl heard quote heard the song of the dove and took it to heart, and then she died. But the old the old woman and the two brothers wanted to stay on Earth, so the dove left them alone, right? And then the mom and the little girl 
take this long and arduous journey only to like end up at heaven. Like the story states that the mother knew where she should go after she sees this dead girl, right? Mm-hmm. So like the question is what happened? Did they like die on their journey? Did she drown both of them in the magic flower ocean? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like now, I'm so confused and I'm left feeling really sad. I too am <laughs> confused, perhaps a little saddened. <laughs> kind of hungry you know lots of things <laughs> all um, things yeah. yeah but but it should be noted that this story is part of a larger collection of stories right now i kind of glance through the others i'm not finding a whole lot of connection but i will go ahead and read it because i too am really confused and i'm wondering if this is part of a much larger picture that they paint uh, as far yeah. as what this represents so and probably not. He let's probably put just a, wants everyone let's, to be confused. Let's put a pin in this one. Um yeah. because because I don't want this to be wasted time as far as what does any of this mean and I right. am sure our listeners are just as confused as we are. Or so, they all know and they're like it's this. Yeah, if they're like <laughs> it represents love. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Hey, tweet at us and then we'll all know and it's it'll be for the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but like honestly, a part of me hopes that what happened is they accidentally like it wasn't like the kingdom of heaven per se that they went to, but they like accidentally crossed over into like a fairy realm or something. Yeah. Um, it rather like than it, dying. <laughs> it's not specifically death. It's right. just the, the release and goodness that comes with going yeah. to heaven. Um, well, and it, and it is midsummer in the tale. So that's definitely yeah. a real possibility. You know, mm-hmm. there's fa- fairy, fairy worlds abound. Yeah. I will and- say. That that's kind of a fun way to interpret it. That just because the the story views it all through a very Christian lens, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only version right. of this story. Uh, it's probably one that uh, has been told uh, verbally a number of times, and mm-hmm. was only published with the Christian overtones. Uh, that's possibly yeah. a fact of, of business at the time. Yeah, I mean, I know August Stringenberg was a pretty prolific writer for his time. Yeah, um, I did a little bit of research on it, but yeah. I don't, I don't know enough to have any any authority on that whatsoever. Again, I'm sure so there are... we will gloss over it. There are, there are more informed minds <laughs> than ours. Yeah, but that's but okay. It was an interesting fine. and uh, apt story for Midsummer. Yeah, so. yeah. And so we'll I, I reserve the right to revisit this one, or we may forget about it and never come back. Uh, I'm we'll thinking just, the latter, but we'll that's see what okay. happens. We'll see. <laughs> um, so our third tale is one that you guys either might know really well, or maybe you have like vehemently shunned it because it's Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, but if that is the case, you've been missing out because. This is hands down my favorite Shakespeare play. It's a outside of Macbeth and Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> There's no werewolves in it, but I, I, I like it nonetheless. But almost there is a donkey. Close, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a shape shifting man. It's it's somewhat close, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, since we don't have obviously time to do the entire play, uh, and really, just... we we talked about it as far as <laughs> it how really do we cool. how do we want to read it? Uh, yeah. The problem is, is it's not meant to be a one one 
well, one man like show. It, it's yeah. not a soliloquy. It's not, it's not meant to be like 10 minutes of <laughs> story time. Yeah. So but. we are going to kind of cut some corners and yeah. uh, we are going to do uh, the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, uh, the, just the synopsis. Summary. Because mm-hmm. again, to, to give you a little peek behind the curtain with podcasts, uh, we have to kind of stay within the public domain or we might get yep. sued or taken off of different platforms. So we just have to be careful about that. So if this is not what you find to be uh, a fulfilling exploration into the works of William Shakespeare, specifically a Midsummer Night's Dream, read the play, see the play, do the play. Uh, yeah, go there's rent so many ways. Any of the DVDs, uh, these are meant to be performed and mm-hmm. see them done by human beings. Uh, that's that's the way to do it. Absolutely. Um, so you'll just see the tale come to life. So this will kind of give you. Very broad strokes. Yeah, so we're going to talk about it, and if you've never heard of it and don't know what it's about, that's <laughs> what this part's for. Exactly. So, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Otherwise, go um, get a cup of coffee or another drink, whatever you want, and we'll be back. <laughs> so, I did want to say that I did find another synopsis that I actually did like better. And I, I, I would like to admit that both you and I are both probably capable of writing an original synopsis. But yeah, we didn't have time, have time, and that that didn't happen. So <laughs> very true. Yeah. and I mean this it, this gives an appropriate synopsis of the tale, and that's fine. Yeah, but I do want to say I stand like, by the information that's in it. Exactly, it's, it's accurate. It is what it is. <laughs> it is Wikipedia, so that yeah, that's that. But like Logan said, you know, you can see the tale come to life in so many ways through your own imagination, or on film, or in person in a play, and um. Like, especially with the film versions, there are many, many film versions of this play. My personal favorite is the one from 1999. I watched it like a million times uh, because I had the biggest crush on Christian Bale. And I still do, if I'm being honest. Is that the Kevin Klein one? Yes, it is. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think Christian Bale plays Demetrius. Yeah. Um, so it also has like Stanley Tucci as Puck. There you uh, go. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer's Titania. You just have to mention the Tucci, and so many people are in right there. Stanley Tucci is just the best. Let's be yeah. real. Dominic West is Lysander. Like we said, Kevin Klein is Bottom. And um, we've got like Calista Flockhart, Anna Frail. Uh, who else is in there? Uh, oh rupert everett is oberon i actually think that was the first version of this show that i ever saw yeah same Um, and it was a it was a good entry point into it so definitely they do a really good job of the story like it's not the best film that's ever made but it definitely gives you the midsummer night's dream vibe oh (laughs) if you haven't guessed by yet though by now we're uh, doing midsummer night's dream yeah we're gonna talk about it a little bit here (laughs) i don't Um, i just realized i hadn't said that yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves so what do you say we stop real quick let's do the wikipedia article now for anybody who doesn't know what it's about and we'll come right back sounds good okay plot synopsis for a midsummer night's dream by william shakespeare taken from wikipedia the free encyclopedia The play consists of four interconnecting plots, connected by a celebration of the wedding of Duke Theseus of Athens and the Amazon Queen Hippolyta, which are simultaneously set in the woodland and in the realm of fairyland, under the light of the moon. The play opens with Hermia, who is in love with Lysander, resistant to her father Aegeus' demand that she wed Demetrius, whom he has arranged for her to marry. Helena, Hermia's best friend, pines unrequitedly for Demetrius, who broke up with her to be with Hermia. Enraged, Aegeus invokes an ancient Athenian law before Duke Theseus, 
whereby a daughter needs to marry a suitor chosen by her father, or else face death. Theseus offers her another choice, lifelong chastity, as a nun, worshipping the goddess Artemis. Peter Quince and his fellow players Nick Bottom, Francis Flute, Robin Starveling, Tom Snout, and Snug plan to put on a play for the wedding of the Duke and the Queen. The most lamentable comedy and most cruel death of Pyramus and Thisbe. Quince reads the names of the characters and bestows them upon the players. Nick Bottom, who is playing the main role of Pyramus, is overenthusiastic and wants to dominate others by suggesting himself for the characters of Thisbe, the Lion, and Pyramus at the same time. He would also rather be a tyrant and recite some lines of Ercles. Bottom is told by Quince that he would do the lion so terribly as to frighten the Duchess and the ladies enough that the Duke and the Lords would have the players hanged. Snug remarks that he needs the lion's part because he is slow of study. Quince ends the meeting with, At the Duke's Oak we meet! In a parallel plotline, Oberon, King of the Fairies, and Titania, his queen, have come to the forest outside Athens. Titania tells Oberon that she plans to stay there until she has attended Theseus and Hippolyta's wedding. Oberon and Titania are estranged because Titania refuses to give her Indian changeling to Oberon to use as his knight or henchman, since the child's mother was one of Titania's worshippers. Oberon seeks to punish Titania's disobedience. He calls upon Robin, Puck, Goodfellow, his shrewd and knavish sprite, to help him concoct a magical juice derived from a flower called Love in Idleness which turns from white to purple when struck by Cupid's arrow. When the concoction is applied to the eyelids of a sleeping person, that person, upon waking, falls in love with the first living thing they perceive. He instructs Puck to retrieve the flower with the hope that he might make Titania fall in love with an animal of the forest and thereby shame her into giving up the little Indian boy. He says, And ere I take this charm from off her sight... As I can take it with another herb, I'll make her render up her page to me. Hermia and Lysander have escaped to a forest in hopes of running away from Theseus. Helena, desperate to reclaim Demetrius's love, tells Demetrius about the plan, and he follows them in hopes of finding Hermia. Helena continually makes advances towards Demetrius, promising to love him more than Hermia. However, he rebuffs her with cruel insults against her. Observing this, Oberon orders Puck to spread some of the magical juice of the flower on the eyelids of the young Athenian man. Instead, Puck mistakes Lysander for Demetrius, not having actually seen either before, and administers the juice to the sleeping Lysander. Helena, coming across him, wakes him while attempting to determine whether he is dead or asleep. Upon this happening, Lysander immediately falls in love with Helena. Helena, thinking Lysander is playing a trick on her, runs away with Lysander following her. When Hermia wakes up, she sees that Lysander is gone and goes out into the woods to find him. Oberon sees Demetrius still following Hermia, who thinks Demetrius killed Lysander and is enraged. When Demetrius goes to sleep, Oberon sends Puck to get Helena while he charms Demetrius's eyes. Upon waking up, he sees Helena. Now both men are in love with Helena. However, she is convinced that her two suitors are mocking her, as neither loved her originally. Helena finds Lysander and asks why he left her, but Lysander claims and denies he never loved Hermia, but Helena. Hermia accuses Helena of stealing Lysander away from her, while Helena believes that Hermia joined the two men in mocking her. Hermia tries to attack Helena, but the two men protect Helena. Lysander, tired of Hermia's presence, insults her and tells her to leave. Lysander and Demetrius decide to seek a place to duel to prove whose love for Helena is the greater. The two girls go their separate ways, Helena hoping to reach Athens, and Hermia chasing after the men to make sure Lysander doesn't get hurt or killed. 
Oberon orders Puck to keep Lysander and Demetrius from catching up with one another, and to remove the charm from Lysander so Lysander can return to love Hermia, while Demetrius continues to love Helena. Meanwhile, Quince and his band of six laborers, rude mechanicals as they are described by Puck, have arranged to perform their play about Pyramus and Thisbe for Theseus's wedding and venture into the forest, near Titania's bower, for their rehearsal. Bottom is spotted by Puck, who, taking his name for another word for jackass, transforms his head into that of a donkey. When Bottom returns for his next lines, the other workmen run screaming in terror. They claim that they are haunted, much to Bottom's confusion. Determined to await his friends, he begins to sing to himself. Titania, having received a love potion, is awakened by Bottom's singing and immediately falls in love with him. She lavishes him with the attention of her and her fairies, and while she is in this state of devotion, Oberon takes the changeling. Having achieved his goals, Oberon releases Titania, orders Puck to remove the donkey's head from Bottom, and arranges everything so Helena, Hermia, Demetrius, and Lysander will all believe that they have been dreaming. Puck distracts Lysander and Demetrius from fighting over Helena's love by mimicking their voices and leading them apart. Eventually, all four find themselves separately falling asleep in the glade. Once they fall asleep, Puck administers the love potion to Lysander again, returning his love to Hermia again, and claiming all will be well in the morning. The fairies then disappear, and Theseus and Hippolyta arrive on the scene. During an early morning hunt, they find the lovers still sleeping in the glade. They wake up the lovers, and since Demetrius no longer loves Hermia, Theseus overrules Aegeus' demands and arranges a group wedding. The lovers at first believe that they are still in a dream and can't recall what has happened. The lovers decide that the night's events must have been a dream. After they exit, Bottom awakes, and he too decides that he must have experienced a dream past the wit of man. In Athens, Theseus, Hippolyta, and the lovers watch the six workmen perform Pyramus and Thisbe. The performers are so terrible playing their roles that the guests laugh as if it were meant to be a comedy, and everyone retires to bed. Afterwards, Oberon, Titania, Puck, and the other fairies enter and bless the house and its occupants with good fortune. After all the other characters leave, Puck restores amends and suggests that what the audience experienced might just be a dream. All right, so we're all caught up. Those that yes. have seen the play, those that have read the play, those that have just been introduced via this podcast, mm -hmm. we're all kind of on the same page. Yeah, sorry it went fast. There's a lot of plot in a really short period of time. That was a pretty <laughs> dense little article. As Maybe far listen as... a couple of times to it to kind of know and what it, happened. There are a lot of twists it. and turns. Um, yes. Again, it makes much more sense if you see it. Yeah, uh, it's a very, <laughs> very plot-heavy show because there are multiple things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to know. It's even hard to know sometimes when you're watching it because there's just so many moving parts and everything. All of the storylines interact with each other in some way, but they're all happening together. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah. Just to tie it back to the different versions and the different ways that Shakespeare has been performed. One of the things I kind of like about just the dry Wikipedia plot there's really that's a that's what you need and then p dress it up however you would want exactly and then you can go see it and you can understand exactly what's happening and more of the you know the intricacies that you might miss without knowing the plot to begin with because i mean it is shakespeare and sometimes he's hard to understand <laughs> especially yeah, for the yeah. layperson watching a play like that you'd never seen before right yeah now there are those who you know who might say that shakespeare's been done that he's overrated that he stole most of his plays all the kind of haters that are out there and really no one's making that you he go wasn't see even shakespeare 
Yeah, there wasn't <laughs> even Shakespeare. Thing. Yeah, that's a uh, way big rabbit hole. We're not going down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for those that do enjoy the spirit of it, of of kind of whimsy and and exploring a lot of different themes as far as uh, love, passion, and hope and fear, and a lot of the different things that come and come across in these characters. Uh, mm-hmm. If you like exploring it, then they go for it. You know, it's, a, it's something that. Uh, you know, read read the play, watch the play, jump into it if you yeah. if you haven't already. <laughs> Honestly, you might like Shakespeare more than you already realize because so many films are based off of Shakespeare plays. Like one of my favorite films growing up, uh, Ten Things I Hate About You. Right, mm-hmm. it's based on Taming of the Shrew by Shakespeare, yep. or um, the movie She's the Man is based off of Twelfth Night. Lion King is even Hamlet in so many ways. His plays are so heavily peppered through pop culture that yeah, you may like tropes him and that not get chewed understand. up and recycled a number of times. Yeah, you may just not even know you like him, and you do. Yeah. <laughs> he permeates our society for absolute sure. But he is, I mean, the actual text of Shakespeare is, you know, uh, it's hard to understand what's called technically, linguistically modern English. So... Um, anyway, let's talk about the actual play. <laughs> yeah, there's, there are, there is a lot to talk about. In yes, here. So we're just going to cherry pick some of the things that we want to talk about in it. Yeah. Let's um, talk about Pyramus and Thisbe. Okay. A play let's within talk. a play. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of loved his, uh, Shakespeare's own view into like the theater world with the play. Right. Um, it was really fun to see that his portrayal of bottom as this like arrogant actor that thinks that he can play a million parts rather than just, than just let another, uh, the other people in the company perform too. Right? Oh, I I have met this character in <laughs> exactly. the real world many times. <laughs> and I, sh- I am sure that Shakespeare had too, because he, in his time, was very present while his plays were being performed mm-hmm. in the theater. Like, he was writing them as they were going on stage and everything. Well, I mean, not literally as, but you know what I mean. He would write them, and then his plays would be practiced and performed, and he was there and I'm sure he saw some of that drama that definitely happens backstage, <laughs> as we as we know. Yeah, you guys may and, not, and, but it definitely happens. <laughs> and really, the uh, the play within the play, the uh, the rude mechanical sections. Uh, that's actually my favorite <laughs> yes. part of the whole play. Yeah. Uh, so I did this uh, this show with the Children's Theater of Salt Lake for a number of years. We played it in kind of repertory format on top of other shows and. Such a good theater. And I did, uh, I was the part of Snug the Joiner. That's right. Uh, nice. Snug, the, Snug the Joiner plays the lion, the lion if you remember yep. from, the, the, from the synopsis there. Mm-hmm. And I played him with kind of a slow kind of way of speaking. And, That's and what he when, says he is, yeah, right? For I one Snug the Joiner am, or else no lion's dame. You know, and he kind of <laughs> sounded, you know, like Dauber from Coach. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so that was really, it was fun. It was, <laughs> Bottom's such an interesting character. Like, yeah, what to say? He was an ass, then he was literally an ass, and then he was, I mean, throughout the whole story, just basically a pawn and really is co- a, comedic relief, honestly. Yeah, yeah, but he is a sympathetic character, too. Mm, he's definitely interesting. He's not really hateable for being an ass. You're just like, grown. <laughs> yeah oh, oh yeah. bottom <laughs> you know 
<laughs> yeah, I've I've not I've never had the chance to play bottom, but I, I I'd like to. I think it sounds someday. Fun. Yeah, that'd be really uh, fun. It's a really high energy role that is all For about sure. just putting on the biggest show you can, and that's that's a you're, fun thing to do. You're the actoriest actor. Yes, the, uh, the the most of the mostest. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a fun. It's just a fun peek into something that Shakespeare kind of hinted at from his own life. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, um, so cool. So we've got the the root mechanicals. There's do. another another little plot line of the the fairies. Uh, let's yes, Oberon and Titania. Yeah. Now that they're usually what draws people into this play mm-hmm. because and it's the fairy play and it has sure, so much yeah. so much bright you know imagery and the colors and the costumes and all kinds of things. Now both times that I've done it before was kind of literal in the fairies where it was traditional almost Grecian. Uh, costumes with mm-hmm. with big old fairy wings and of course and glitter everywhere because <laughs> who doesn't want to be a glittery fairy Come yeah on. <laughs> um i will say though that like Oberon and titania definitely do not have a healthy relationship right no they don't it's very much this <laughs> uh I, I i really liked um one of the write-ups on it that it's it's about not recognizing one another they don't see each other not mm-hmm. even as equals they don't understand one another Uh, these are two unknowable alien creatures definitely but even though they're both kind of fey they don't get it they don't get they also have very human aspect to them i mean yeah i guess if you live eternally and like you're in this position of power always and you're constantly butting heads with that power your relationship is like definitely likely to sour at some point right Mm mm-hmm um, I, I love that Titania is such a strong woman. Um, but yeah, she's, she's being, got some really cool moments. Yeah, in the play. Oh, definitely. She's super cool. But it's also why she ends up being this victim of a bronze scheme, right? Like he can't handle that she told him no. So he lashes out at her. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very human thing to do. Somebody, somebody shuts you down and you get mad and you, you know, bite back. Yeah. And it's never a good thing <laughs> it's never a good thing it's like not zero percent of the time is that no. the correct choice but you uh, know we are who we are we're kind yeah. of selfish creatures just in general and i mean I, I like to see that i like to see these aspects of humanity kind of reflected in in these two totally fey beings right mm-hmm. that that were they you know actual fey or whatever they probably wouldn't have this issue at all but we, have, we can't relate to them that way so there are, there are parts that make them these uh, mystical, magical, unknowable means, and then there are parts that make them very, very human. Yeah. Too, you know. Um, so, yeah, like, like, I know that the child that in question, you know, the change, he was a changeling, right? Yeah, so and and the script is pretty with. vague about that. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> he was stolen to begin with, but then like Oberon steals him again as this power play to mm-hmm. Titania, and that. Like the whole situation, whole situation with that kind of makes me sad because it's just a kid. But um, I like to think that that she gets Oberon back later on because we never really see that. But I'm sure this whole backbiting scheming thing is a constant back and forth between. Yeah, them, I think right? we're seeing a small window yeah, into a, a much larger snippet. system. Yeah, that, we're, we're seeing one night, right? Like that yeah, could be every day. All about negotiation and power plays, and mm-hmm. that's maybe that may be their entire relationship. 
small note, there is a, a segment of the population that likes to pronounce her name Titania. Uh, they are really? wrong. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've never heard that before. Uh, well, no, it's it, it's it, either uh, uh, just any of the different variations on it. Um, and it's yeah, when, when we joke about it, you know, they're wrong. Well, that's because there's a traditional theatrical way to say that character's name. Right. But it, there's a lot of uh, different ideas as far as where he got that idea for her. Her name is taken from Ovid's Metamorphosis, mm-hmm. uh, but her aspects as, a, as the unknown queen of the fairies, uh, that's kind of a cool thing that in pop culture that's become her name. But before that, she didn't have a set name. Uh, she, right. so, sometimes it was uh, the spirit of the, of the Morgan or something else in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, once... and you go way into that deep, and there's the Seely and Unseely court, and all of the all of the Fey gods and world yeah. and creatures. I mean, it's it's and really we cool. Are, rest we'll assured, dear listeners, <laughs> we will do a Fey episode. Oh, we sure will. <laughs> You you don't know how much we really enjoy uh, the Fey realm. It's yeah. a it's a it's a kooky place. <laughs> I mean, even just an episode on the Morrigan would be amazing. Oh yeah. Uh, um, if you need some, there's a lot of urban fantasy out there that has a ton of stuff. Like almost every urban, almost every urban fantasy book has something to do with the Fey, like yeah. traditional, like Irish, Celtic, English, Fey, mm-hmm. basically. And they're great. Like it's it's all political and magical, and it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah, because it's a court based system. Exactly. Uh, tr- traditionally, these stories uh, they and a good have, one and a bad one. Like good. Yeah, they have good court bad balance, court. and they mm-hmm. have their own uh, system of justice. And it, there's a a lot of stories. Very tricky. Yeah. So anyway, that's Oberon and Titania. Yeah. Ooh, let's talk about Puck. Puck. Okay, so Puck. Uh, what what have we got on him? He's a he, he's a sprite. He's a often portrayed as very youthful and and ageless. Robin Goodfellow. Um, yeah, yeah. Robin Goodfellow is kind of his just his name. Uh, again, why he ha- why he is named that the script doesn't really explain. Um, just kind of casually is, bounces around the two names. Yeah. Well, I mean, Puck is, if I'm remembering correctly, he's actually like based on a amalgamation of, of creatures that are specifically yeah. that. I think Robin Goodfellow is one of those creatures. And he's oh, basically that. just a mischievous fey creature. Like he, yeah. he just gets up to crap. And yeah. I feel like he's kind of that friend that will like help you with any shenanigans that you're up to just because yeah. they love the drama. If you're up to something you shouldn't be doing, he's definitely the guy to call. Yeah, I mean, like, it's unlikely that anything in this story would have happened without Puck just, like, making up random things. Like, (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. all because of him, really. But I'm noticing that Puck is not really a details-oriented character. Puck is kind of a... (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah, okay, Uh, I'll go put some of that flower juice on that guy. Yeah. Not like, what does he look like? You know, and then of course that happens with Lysander, and then bam, right? Yep. <laughs> so. Oh, and, and uh, fun little note uh, in our show because of a typo that was in the script in the early on in the re- rehearsal process. Uh, not only am I named Lysander, I'm also named Charmander. Uh, so Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which would you rather be? Obviously, it's, we would want to be a Pokemon. 
Totally. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. Uh, so that brings us around to the lovers. Um, yes. Now the, the lovers are confusing and interesting and a little bit sad, honestly. Yeah. They, they, they've got some really very sad moments uh, mm-hmm. that are temporary. The idea of, identity being tied to love that is then lost right uh so how much identity remains when the bond is broken for sure and i mean Uh, their initial situation is complicated enough right mm -hmm. the whole like weird love whatever four would be it's not a triangle but that whole tangled mess and then this artificial love just gets thrown into the mix and it gets so messy and then you end up feeling so bad for each of them you know like uh, Lysander and Demetrius because they have no control over all of these seesaw feelings, uh, especially like Demetrius because he never even gets that fixed, right? Like his love they for just Helena leave him. is never yeah. actually true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is sad. You know, it's sad for Helena because she goes, she does this whole journey of unrequited love to feeling super mocked to this artificial love with the person that she'd been pining for. Yeah. Like, would you ever feel okay with that? You know, but then well, they woke up. She doesn't. Yeah. I don't dream, think she ever finds so. out. She doesn't know. She's just. Yeah. You know, but it's still, <laughs> you know, we, we know that it's all artificial and untrue. Yeah. And then just like Hermia's utter rejection. <laughs> well, it, 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 it kind of it kind of lands in a place of and everything is as it should be. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the very notion of should is a hard one to uh, really evaluate sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, the way things should be, uh, well, they, that's very seldom the way they actually turn out. It's, it's just something to, to keep in mind. Yeah. With, with lovers, what are, what are your feelings on how you like on playing Lysander? Um, he is a very, con- he, well, he gets kind of conflicted in, in a lot of ways. Uh, just for, for one, he, in, in the beginning of the play, he's just, you know this this kind of ball of rage that is only trying to put on a good face when when certain characters are are looking, but he's really trying to trying to solve this problem. And one of the things that he he does, he actually comes with, comes up with the idea of let's run away, let's get mm-hmm. out of town, and that's his big solution. It's it's such a guy solution that <laughs> it where it's well, not. I mean, they had to, I guess, because she. Yeah she was going to get forced to marry Demetrius otherwise. Right. Uh, yeah. And his, his, his grand scheme is let's leave town and (laughs) (laughs) it'll solve everything. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and so from that, I've kind of taken that Lysander is, he's not a dumb character, but he's a little bit inexperienced in real matters of the world. Like how to actually figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's been kind of a fun thing to play with. Uh, and in in our version, like I mentioned, we're trying to focus on on certain eighties archetypes and and pop culture characters. Um, with the relationship with the, with Demetrius, uh, we've been joking that it's kind of uh, Zach Morris and AC Slater. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely eighties, <laughs> where they're friends, but con- in a competitive way, yeah. and entirely based on the situation they may become antagonists and that's the relationship they had going into this For sure and you literally and do at one point because you end up like basically fighting a little bit yeah oh yeah through the whole thing it's kind of one-upping each other mm-hmm. until threatening to kill each other where we're actually sure. hunting each other through the woods and if not for the actions of puck somebody would probably die 
Well, I mean, technically Oberon too, because he's like, "Go fix that," you know. Yeah, go fix that. Yeah, it was it was it was an Oberon. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But so yeah, the the character of Lysander, he's got some really really great chunks of uh of lines, some really good strong monologues that are very harsh toward Hermia. Um, he mm-hmm. can get his his level of vitriol can be really mean. Uh, and yeah, and this is like the woman he loves too. And that's what's so crazy about it. You know, you go from this lovey-dovey, let's run away together so that we can mm-hmm. be free or whatever. And then from, yeah, just it, like you said, vitriol, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, would re- I would recite some of Lysander's lines off the cuff, but I actually haven't memorized most of them You'll get as there. most as 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 our cast will attest <laughs> um but uh we don't open for a while we're oh, everything's okay. fine don't worry but <laughs> uh yeah that's something that's that is very difficult to play with lysander he, in a moment he can be he has to like, very flip. earnest mm-hmm. in 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 turning on hermia and saying no i don't love you i didn't love you i was wrong you are nothing I could ever want get out of here. And that is something that's really hard to just throw at somebody. It's like leaving a um, puppy behind or something. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. And it, it doesn't help that, you know, this is an actress that I, you know, that has been you know fun to get to know. And we've been having a good time putting this show together. And I have to fling these really yeah. abusive insults and throw her around the stage and get her. And cause we're under this mad love spell, this, uh, and she is, she's actually the aggressor in a lot of the fights going after Helena. Hermia, I think is who the line, she is little, but she is fierce or some, yeah, something of that. That's, that's, that's who the line is said about. That's where that comes from. For sure. Um, there, there are a lot of lines um, in many productions, kind of the only way you can tell, helena and hermia apart is hermia is short helena is tall that's they're they're almost interchangeable otherwise Mm -hmm. and i i like that uh in our in our particular version they're trying hard to really expand on what are some of the differences that we can add into these uh, i I mean i guess you could go with the thing that like you know helena's always like weepy yeah, <laughs> Hermes weepy. always uh, angry they've they've landed on <laughs> that she's kind of a wannabe that she's a follower that yeah which uh, would very Hermia, much be her Hermia is a trendsetter Helena is you know the the one that comes right afterward maybe like breakfast clubby <laughs> yeah and that kind of has been working uh, it's just been a fun God, angle I'm ex- to I'm really excited to, throw to see this. it you know, yeah. I mean, the whole the whole plot line with the lovers it's it's really it's a messy plot line in a great way um, but it's it's really fun to watch, and I'm sure it's really fun for the actors to play. So yeah, it gets a lot be... of a lot of fun opportunities to do visual gags or yeah. uh, make you know, fun pictures on stage as far as where you're standing and what position you're doing, and just become part of a larger mm-hmm. show. I mean, and it's like the whole show itself is just chaos the whole time and you guys can probably tell that just from the synopsis itself right like it it's so <laughs> much happening all over the time um, yeah playing devil's advocate for those that uh that don't like shakespeare i understand it's possible to do this to do this show poorly <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> it, it's a challenging show to do you need good uh, actors you need a strong like concept if you're changing it 
to be in a different place. Um, I mean, and it's Shakespeare. Like, you have to determine how are we making Shakespeare translatable for just general theater mass masses of yeah. people, right? Because <laughs> it is hard to understand. And, and we yeah, fully admit a, that. <laughs> it's an inherently archaic and backwards kind of thing. Uh, we have the ability to communicate to a much larger audience. So why do we focus on only the ones right in front of us? And really, it just comes down to that energy exchange uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're going right to a, a live audience who is there and they're reacting to every little thing that happens on stage. And that is a, a really unique feeling and yeah. it's something really cool. And if you guys uh, have, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're not into yeah, theater, not right? So, yeah, and, it's not for everybody. Some people hate it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> But when you see a really good production of something where the actors are very into it and the audience is very into it, it's a magical thing. Like it's, you go, you you feel this connection throughout when you're watching something that's, that's that good and that people are like buying into everything that's happening. And it's just this, it's this electricity and you leave and you're just like, wow. You know, yeah, the kind of catharsis that comes with it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why people go to theater. Like they go yeah. looking for that connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are not a theater person and you've never been, you know, look around for the best theater in your area and just go to something that looks good. To you know, maybe yeah. it's Spam a lot, oh, right? Like also, that's a great one to go see. That's fun. But also, it if you're not a th- theater person, thank you so much for continuing to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <It's- laughs> We don't always I get talk that it's about a little showy sometimes. But. <laughs> well, I mean, it is the first play we've ever talked about, too. So it gets a little like, yeah, we get so deal with it. Okay. Both. Okay. We like Shakespeare. We like, we like this yeah. nerd stuff, you know? And both um, of our histories are, are steeped in theater. Mine is much more backstage and yours is more on. But we, oh, we've both yeah. been heavily involved. Yeah. And, and it's been fun to, to jump back into it. I've kind of had a number of jobs over the last couple of years that keep me busy on the weekends and it's been tricky to do shows. So uh, yeah, this is commitment. the first show I've done in a while and it's fun to exercise those muscles in my brain again. Good. I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah. I'm excited to keep seeing how it progresses for you. Yeah. So. Well, stay tuned. I'll, I'll have more, <laughs> more to report on it. Um, yeah. Because I, we opened on August 7th, I think. I should check. I should definitely know. But <laughs> yeah, you got a while. It's fine. It's August I something, got it in my right? phone. It's fine. <laughs> I, I, we open sometime. Whatever. You'll be there probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. All right. It's, it's, so um, <laughs> let's get to our promo for the evening. Yes. And you know, okay, before we do a promo, I realize we are an hour and 20 minutes. No one no, is or even longer because the shows. They're at the, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I do, we're, we're way we're, in there. We're, we're into we're, tomorrow. We're deep it's in almost the, woods. the winter solstice. <laughs> exactly. I get it. But I do have to give a shout out to our podcast network neighbors. Uh, this is where the magic happens. I have started listening to that podcast, and Ryan uh, and, and, and uh, Angela are really, really great hosts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a fun show. show that is well done. cute and charming mm-hmm. and so specific to them but they both bring enough to it that it's really fun yeah, so they're great personalities yeah bonus People you know plug pers- for them go check that podcast out yeah, I, we promoted them a, a few weeks ago and uh, yeah that's not, where we know about them from <laughs> yeah I, I kind of did the equivalent of visiting the neighbors and yeah <laughs> and checked out their 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 backlog and they're cool show 
Absolutely. Now, we take more of an analytical, almost academic, uh, somewhat dry look at uh, some of the, the mystical and occult elements of this world. They are a little bit more on the on the believer side, and they come at it with a very open mind. And yeah, I think Angela's they, a practitioner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that's not your thing, okay. Uh, but I don't know. I find it fascinating, and as as kind of the agnostic of all things, <laughs> it's you know it's hey, a fun fun it, look at the other side. It never hurts to learn about something, right? Yeah. So that's their free promo, but we've got another promo here. <laughs> we today. do for another show that you guys will probably like. It um it kind of goes from the paranormal ish end of things, I guess that essentially what occult stuff is. From that end to more of the true crime end, which pair very well. Yeah. So this this show, the show for this week is Resolved Mysteries. Um and these ladies are making such a fun show. Like the gist of it is they are updating us on the tales from the old TV show that so many of us watched Unsolved Mysteries. Um, so if you ever want wanted to know what happened to those mysteries after that show, this is the podcast that will tell you about it. Oh, this seems cool. Yeah. Okay. So All right. check out this Let's promo. Let's take a listen. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries Podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about weird shit like Bigfoot, this is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolve Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. All right, so give them a listen. I think you guys will really like them, especially if you're a true crimer. Make more podcast listening time, I I suppose. It's so hard because there's so many great shows out there, but... Yeah. You know, we'll get to, but, we'll get uh, them eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to ours. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, thank you. Yeah. As we kind of wind down here, uh, my a million cup hours is empty. later. <laughs> yeah. The it's the true. midsummer Whatever. the midsummer is 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 waning on us, and uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a nice, safe uh, middle of the summer. Hope you're all doing something fun. Yeah. And I guess that's it for this week. So just as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore on the Rocks. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at... At Folklore Rocks! So you guys got it again because I couldn't do it last week. Oh, <laughs> so sad. It's fine. I prefer that you you do it way better <laughs> than me, so it's great. <laughs> Um, we have pictures, notes, sources on our website at folkloreontherocks.com. I have copious links, um, <laughs> copious links for the, just this episode that'll be on there. Uh, so if you want more info, check that out. Uh, we've got a Patreon. We've got a PayPal. If you would like to donate to us either way, the PayPal button is on our website. The Patreon is on the Patreon website. Yeah. Um, we do free stickers if you want to write us a review and send a screenshot in. Um, we ask that you please rate us, even if you don't want stickers, and leave a review. Um, you can do that 
on, I think, what it is now, Apple Podcasts. Oh, is that what they call this now? I should. I, don't know I should. What's happening? Become better versed in the Apple verse. They just decided okay. that they were getting rid of iTunes, so uh, I don't know. It is. But I hate. I hated iTunes for so long. Everyone. What did. am I going to hate now? <laughs> Probably Apple Podcasts. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. But we're also in like any other any other place you can find podcasts, and you you can write reviews on Stitcher. Um, you can write review on our page on Facebook. All of those are great too. The, the, all of those are fine. Yes, so, please. Um, and once we get a hundred of those, we're going to do that bonus episode, and it's going to be great. And we'll we'll do a good job on it. We promise. We'll 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 try. Yeah, we'll try real hard. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't try all the other time. I know. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. Like I, 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 no, I've set a weird standard for that, but but on that one, no, we'll we'll, we'll do make it good. Job. We'll make yeah. we'll make it worth worth the hype if you pick bigfoot it's gonna be like eight parts you know it's it is what it is <laughs> oh it'll be glorious if you want us to do bigfoot we will do the best damn bigfoot podcast you will ever hear i don't know we might not be able to beat astonishing legends they just did like a bunch a mini partner on <laughs> bigfoot well, i will i will bring in both bigfoot hunters and bigfoot himself yes. or herself yeah herself we'll, yeah there you go yeah one of them <laughs> so I'll anyway catch one <laughs> So yeah. tell your friends, uh, word of mouth is the best possible marketing that we could get. You know, you know who would like us uh, out of your friends. If you like us, you probably have friends that would also like us because we are that kind of people, you know. We find, we're we find people, our ilk. And we make friends with friendly people. Well, I just mean we and find our ilk of people yeah, who exactly. like weird we have stuff. Our, we have our own little tribe. Exactly. And- <laughs> and i know you guys do too yeah. so um but anyway yeah thank you guys so much for listening and just tune in next sunday yeah thanks bye everybody